Uh, we can begin by singing Psalm 100 from the Scottish Psalter. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell, come ye before him and rejoice. We can sing the whole psalm. something to say and our words as we've just been singing indicate what should be our heart's desire that we would call all people on the earth uh, to worship you why would we do that it's because we have discovered who you are uh, the God of mercy uh, the God of grace the God who is marked by loving kindness and who is full of compassion and we live in a world where often these things are lacking but the reality is in your kingdom these are the features that you highlight we thank you Lord as your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness your mercies occur at different levels we have experienced your provision for our bodies today that's a sign of your mercy 
We're gathered here to look at your word for our souls. And that's a sign of your mercy. And therefore we can say about them, whether physical or spiritual, that great is your faithfulness. Lord, we come to you then acknowledging who you are. And with the desire that the spread of your name would continue throughout the world and that all the great promises in your word would continue to be fulfilled how the nations will call Jesus blessed that he is the Messiah not merely of Israel but of of the whole world the one who is going to draw people from all nations as well as from all periods of time and therefore we thank you Lord that today all over the world many people are gathering in lots of different circumstances uh, to thank you for your mercy so Lord help us to imitate you as the God of mercy and that we ourselves would express mercy in whatever way we can we know that's one of the roles that's connected to deacons and as we further think about that today we pray you would guide us and what thoughts come through our mind whether as speaker or hearers as we focus on this important role we pray your blessing on all deacons, whatever they are throughout the world because they have an important role to play in your kingdom as well as on elders and ministers and others in your church but we thank you for the roles that you have laid out expressions of your wisdom and we pray that we will be glad that we can follow them and imitate them in our congregations and that we would be endeavouring to do so as best we can. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit who enables us to do that. We come to you, Lord, today, and all of us are facing different circumstances, whatever life has brought our way, and we thank you that we can uh, commit our ways to the Lord. And we pray you remember us according to our own personal needs and that you would bless us as individuals and as families. Bless the congregation here too, Lord, and remember all of them uh, for spiritual and all forms of good. So bless them, we pray, and guide them as they have this stage in your providence. Lord, remember us then as we go through the service. We pray for us, whether we're adults or children, that you would speak to us uh, from your word. So bless us, Lord, and keep us for your own name's sake. Amen. I want to speak to the children just now. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this previously. But I've got something here that I got once when I was on holiday and it's an imitation of something that would have been used a long long time ago and it's a kind of thing that the Bible refers to Um, Jesus says in one of the letters to seven churches in Asia that he would give to them to the people in that church a white stone I know this one's not white, but it is a stone. And uh, the point of stones <coughs> was that people had no, um, didn't have money in their pockets and didn't have cards in their wallets to tell people who they were. And the um, most effective way they had of doing things uh, was to carry little stones around with them indicating who they were and where they came from and things like that 
And on this particular stone is written the word Ephesus. So the somebody from Ephesus, uh, they could walk around and somebody asked them, where are you from? And out would come this stone saying they were from Ephesus. Or, if they wanted, so sadly a lot of people in the world were, were slaves and they could write the name of their master on this stone. This stone actually got you into the amphitheater in Ephesus. Well, this one didn't. It's a copy of it. But if you had the real thing, you'd have got into the amphitheater in Ephesus. Now, Jesus talks about a white stone. And we may say, he says to a church, I will give to the people in it a white stone. And we may say to ourselves, where would somebody get a white stone? And the answer to that question is they would get it in a courtroom. And if they were found not guilty, they would be given a white stone. And uh, Jesus says to the people there, using that as an illustration, I will give you a white stone. Now we may say to ourselves, how can Jesus give us a white stone since we're all sinners? How can he say about us that we're not guilty? And the answer to that, of course, is as we know, that he died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. And therefore, since he's the judge, he can hand out a white stone to us. So, I think it's a very good illustration. And even if you want to play at something, try to find a white stone and say to one another, that's what Jesus provides when he says to his people, they are not guilty in his sight. So I want you to remember that. Stone, stones could get you lots of places in the ancient world. We can now sing again to God's praise, this time from Psalm 25, and sing Psalms, and verses 4 to 11. O Lord, reveal to me your ways, and all your paths help me to know. Direct and guide me in your truth, instruct me in the way to go. Verses 4 to 11.
like us to read uh, two passages, the first one from Romans chapter 12 and the second one from Matthew chapter 25. Romans 12, 1-8 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And may God bless those readings. We can sing again, this time Psalm 15, from the Scottish Psalter. 
Within thy tabernacle, Lord, who shall abide with thee? And in thy high and holy hill, who shall a dweller be? We'll sing the whole psalm. week that initially I thought was strange but then after I thought about it it seemed to make sense not because I thought about it of course but um, the, um, this well known preacher in America who travelled all over the place was asked what did he see in the different churches he went to I wonder how you'd have answered that question. His reply was, I see ministers doing the work of elders, elders doing the work of deacons, and deacons doing what's left. And um, that was an interesting way of seeing things, wasn't it? Obviously he said it a bit tongue-in-cheek. But as you think about it, he was saying, wasn't he, that ministers, elders, and deacons have specific roles. And if they, each of them doesn't do what they're meant to do, it can cause a bit of confusion. So that was his assessment of going around the churches in America. He may have said the same thing about going around the churches in Britain who can see we're thinking about uh, deacons and last week we sort of looked at what they 
should be doing according to the New Testament and I want us to try and think today as to, as to why they should be doing it it's fairly easy to know what should be done but um, why is a very different question and why of course comes to our motives and things like that I want us to um, just think about three things which of course is not always an accurate statement because each one of the three can be divided into numerous other lists but I want us to think basically of three things I want to see how first of all how people did it in the past what was it like to be a deacon in other periods of time rather than in the 21st century and then secondly I want us to think briefly about the model deacon who is the model for deacons as they endeavour to serve God and lastly and here's the point where dividing into three doesn't mean too much the third point I've got six reasons for why we should work as deacons so firstly how did they do it in the past what was it like to be a deacon in the past I've got a few quotations just to give so you might not like quotations so I'm sorry for that but this is how they did it in the past way back in the third century what was it like to be a deacon well here's one account of them they visited martyrs who were in prison clothed and buried the dead looked after the excommunicated with the hope of restoring them provided the needs of widows and orphans and visited the sick and those who were otherwise in distress in a plague that struck Alexandria about AD 259 deacons were described by an eyewitness as those who visited the sick fearlessly ministered to them continually and died with them most joyfully I mean that's a very striking description of deacons isn't it especially when trouble came even in that plague that was mentioned they visited the sick fearlessly ministered to them continually and died with them most joyfully that was the deacons in the third century going on to our um, own history in Scotland Covenanters what would be the priority for the Covenanters as they lived in very difficult times we might think it's hard to be Christians today but whatever our difficulties are it was nothing compared to what they had to face so what were did the covenanters have time to think about deacons well James Guthrie who ended up being martyred in Edinburgh there's a sermon by him available on deacons and he's obviously concerned about the the necessity for them even in those particular days and he said this deacons are not to count light of this employment or any others to esteem lightly of them because they are called thereunto and do exercise the same but that they they themselves and all others ought to look upon it as one of these holy and honourable employments 
which the wisdom of God has thought fit to appoint in his house for supplying the necessities of his saints. There were lots of necessities in the Covenanting times. Deacons were to think very carefully about what they should do in those circumstances. In order to encourage them, Gastry pointed out, the Lord Jesus Christ himself did not disdain to wash his disciples' feet. Angels, all of them are ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for their sakes who are appointed to be heirs of salvation. Why then should any think it below them to serve in the church of Christ and to minister to the saints in this employment? I think most people have heard of Thomas Chalmers and his concern for the explosion of poverty that accompanied the Industrial Revolution especially in the cities of the south of Scotland. And one of his remedies was to appoint deacons who were to go round their communities and find out in what ways the church could help uh, those in distress. But his um, decision in that regard uh, was not unusual as far as Scotland was concerned. Because as one man points out, talking about our Presbyterian heritage, he says in our Scottish Presbyterian Church it has been distinctly recognised and authoritatively stated that the whole policy of the Church consists in three things. The Church exists by three things. And these three things are doctrine, discipline, and distribution. Doctrine, discipline, and distribution. Distribution (coughs) was connected to the work of deacons. Whether, this man goes on to say, whether the distribution be appropriated to ministerial support at home, the spread of religion abroad, the furtherance of any church or congregational scheme, the maintenance of church buildings, help of the congregational poor, the deacons have officially to do with the collection and distribution of them. So, If we want to be true to our heritage and to the task that has been handed down to us, then it's going to be marked by our commitment to doctrine, uh, discipline, and to distribution. I read another comment. This is the last one I have. Uh, How do deacons do this? But you might not want to follow what this man suggested. But I think what he says is interesting. A man called Bavink, he's quite a prominent theologian, he said, What are deacons to do? That deacons be instructed to persuade all the members of the church particularly the wealthier ones. In the name of Christ, to practice mercy and to warn and guard them against the sin of covetousness, which is the root of all evil. So deacons, well, historically, they've been very important. And therefore, that's a reminder to us that we have to take seriously in 2023 and in the years ahead the role of deacons 
in a spiritually strong church. That's the past. Who is our best role model? Of course, we know the answer to that question already. But just um, let um, this particular verse go through your minds. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. But whoever will be great among you, remember who the you is, it's the apostles. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In that verse, the term that is translated deacon occurs three times. If we wanted to do it literally, this would be what it would sound like. But whoever would be great among you, that's you apostles, must be your deacon. And whoever be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give his life a ransom for many. How did Jesus live? Peter, when speaking to, to Cornelius and his friends, if I remember correctly, said he went about doing good. Sometimes when I think of that kind of description of someone, I focus on their actions and what it meant to them personally. But I think what Peter is stressing there is the effects Jesus had on those he responded to. He just didn't do, go around doing good because he was perfect. He went around doing good because he was helping people who needed it. And the effects that were seen in their experience and their lives was goodness. And we can think about that about his miracles. He functioned, didn't he? According to his ability. And because he had these supernatural abilities, he did good in that way. But as far as his outlook was concerned and his dedication was concerned well he tells us there how far he was prepared to go. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How do we estimate the model deacon's dedication. A hundred percent. But not just a hundred percent occasionally, but a hundred percent continually. He was devoted. And he's saying to the apostles, isn't he? Whoever will be great among you must be your servant, must be your deacon. He doesn't say whoever should be great among you should be your deacon. Instead he says 
must be your deacon. It's an essential feature of service. And Jesus models it. You call me Master and Lord. He said to the disciples on another occasion, And you do well, for so I am. And he said that, and as we know in John chapter 13, after he had washed their feet. Deacons. Well, they have a great role model to imitate. (coughs) But then we're all called to imitate Christ. It's not just the saints of the past who in their historical circumstances functioned in a way that is highly commendable. But the Saviour himself, the one we love and follow, he has left us an example to follow in his steps and one of the ways in which that can be done is by deacons since we're thinking about them at this particular time although we're to be ex- follow as example whatever we are and whatever we are doing that leads us to think in the third place about the six reasons or the six most six um, <coughs> causes or whatever we want to have for becoming deacons why did we read Romans chapter 12 well in Romans chapter 12 we are reminded that um, of a very basic reality and that is that every Christian has been given a spiritual gift there's no such thing or no such person as a Christian who hasn't got a spiritual gift they don't all have the same gifts there's a range of gifts and there's four or five lists of these gifts given in the New Testament of which Romans 12 uh, verses 3 to 7 is one of the lists these gifts As Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, these gifts are given to us at conversion. So they are not natural talents. So that means a Christian is somebody with a natural talent, whatever that might be. He or she may have more than one. But when that individual was converted... Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 4 grace was given to each of us and the grace there is is some kind of spiritual gift some people have more than one spiritual gift but every Christian has got at least one which means that no Christian can ever say there's nothing that I can do and we may say to ourselves well how do we find out what our gift is well as far as I know the only way to find it out is that a person becomes it it's just part of what the Holy Spirit does in their lives and as they as they engage in the various spiritual disciplines such as prayer and reading the Bible and so on they just become the gift what they are enabled to do by Jesus just appears And, and that is why they're all so different God is at work in their lives and he has made them, each of them, something special. And he is enabling them as they just develop as believers. He enables them to become that kind of person. We can see it in all the different ways. If somebody wants to become a missionary, well, they start 
it's so, it's just so basic they become interested in missions and they wonder how they might fit in and their longing is to do it and they have just this part of their character they become it and uh, a person who's going to be a deacon well he becomes it that's just the way it happens as he prays, as he reads the Bible as he attends church as he takes part in fellowship and all the basic Christian activities he just becomes it and we, we can see that in numerous examples of people Paul don't know if you noticed uh, in Romans chapter 12 and verse uh, 7 well verse 8 sorry verses 8 there's actually a reference to the two offices we have in the church uh, to elders and to deacons there at the end of the verse 8 the one who leads with zeal that's the elder and then there's the one who does acts of mercy that's the deacon with cheerfulness but the point I'm making is that that verse occurs in a passage which stresses it's a spiritual gift Christ has designed each one of his people to be somebody I don't mean by that that he has designed each of his people to be well known but he has designed each of his people to be unique and he is a work in their lives to make them become that kind of person so as you vote for deacons you should be able to see the person Christ will have made him that so that's the first point every one of us has been given spiritual gifts and also the deacon is also mentioned again in that passage from Romans 12 uh, where Paul says in verse 7 if service in our serving the words there translated service and serving have to do with being deacons so that's the first point reason number one Jesus has given spiritual gifts and to every congregation he gives the gift of deacons because that's what he wants to be in his different congregations the second point is it's connected to the first one that is the progress of a church depends on the contribution of each believer we're all familiar with the fact that Paul likens the global, the cosmic church and the local church to a body to a physical body he talks about hands and eyes and so on and the local church is a body and as we know from the illustration a living body moves and it normally it requires each part of the body to be functioning and you don't even think about it when your body moves around do you it doesn't click oh my eyes are seeing something my ears are hearing something my feet are standing on something my hands are doing something it's all automatic it all works together well Paul says that's the way a church should be and uh, when each person does what he or she has been gifted to do the church moves smoothly and it moves together but if for example this is, this is an absurd illustration of course but if one of my fingers decides not to participate in the rest of my body's actions 
I suppose nobody might notice that but if, if my hand decides not to participate then my whole body is affected and the same goes in the church doesn't it it's quite a challenge if I fail to be the kind of individual that Jesus has planned for me to be it's not just me who's damaged it's the congregation and if somebody decides that they're not going to be the kind of person that Jesus has prepared them to be it's not just them that's been hindered everyone the church is hindered so those of us who are being prepared by God to be deacons and I think those who have been prepared by God think about that if they say no it's not just themselves that are affecting it's others as well A third motive or reason for doing this is our actions reveal the depth of our love to Jesus. Peter, he was an apostle, a capable man. He was also a self-confident man. Self-confidence gets you a lot of places in life. But it gets you nowhere in the church. How did Jesus deal with self-confident Peter? Well, we know what happened there in John chapter 21 after the resurrection, after Jesus, after Peter denied Jesus, and Jesus restored him. And all Jesus did in restoring him was, as we know, to ask these simple questions. Simon, do you love me? What would Jesus have said to him if Peter had waffled in his reply? Well, Jesus would have said nothing to him, would he? He certainly wouldn't have said to him what he said next. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. To those of us who are going to face this decision of deacons, the question of Jesus comes, doesn't it? Do you love me? It's a very challenging question. The Bible is full of challenging questions. That's one of the most challenging. Do you love me? Jesus basically says to him, to Peter, Peter, show that you love me. Peter did and so have millions of deacons the fourth reason if God has called any of us to be deacons that becomes part of our personal sanctification can't grow in grace unless we grow in every aspect it's balanced and um, sometimes we're prone to and we all understand this 
because our, our own mountain always seems the biggest doesn't it our own mountain always seems the biggest but the Bible's got one answer to all mountains and it's what was said by Jesus to Paul my grace is sufficient for you and as we face whatever God is calling us to do and that particular task can can seem enormous and we can say truthfully in myself I cannot do it and that's true but no one's asking us to do it in ourselves Jesus promises my grace is sufficient and therefore Paul of course Paul was talking about his thorn in the flesh whatever that was that he could cope with it through God's grace so we've got spiritual gifts the progress of a church depends on us doing what we should be doing our actions reveal the love of our strength of our love to Christ as part of our personal sanctification and it's also the opportunity of revealing the compassion of God to a world that needs to see it acts of mercy deeds of kindness expressions of sympathy whether done individually or corporately they all speak very powerfully and we live in a world which needs to see living expressions of mercy and deacons what a wonderful task to show the love of God in practical ways how can anyone think that such an office is somehow or other less than another office in a certain sense it's the public image of the church what they're known for remember stop in a minute but remember the stress that was made at the council in Jerusalem to Paul when they said to him remember the poor and deacons well they showed to their communities the beauty of God's compassion and that's a wonderful thing isn't it you ever met someone who looked you just sensed as you looked at them that you were in the presence of someone whom grace had transformed that just out of their everything about them the love of God flowed I've met people like that most of them are now in heaven and sometimes when I become spiritually lazy which is quite often sadly their face appears in my memory you don't have to do what you're failing to do at this moment it's almost a message isn't it serve Christ and it makes you really happy 
that's what they tell my they tell my conscience and it's great to have that kind of people in a community who just shine shine for Christ their memory hangs around long after they have gone the last one why should someone be a deacon because there's a day coming when Jesus will say well done when that day is coming he's only going to say it of course if it was well done I think those six reasons are all valid we've been given spiritual gifts progress of the church depends on each of us being what we should be we have to it is the way we show our love to Christ it's part of our personal sanctification it shows to others the compassion of God and as we look ahead to get the estimation of the master and to hear his assessment done said in two brief words well done hope they help us or help you as in a few weeks time you have the the opportunity to elect elder deacons and some of you will have the opportunity of becoming deacons so I hope these remarks will help in that situation shall we pray Lord we thank you for your mercy where would we be without your mercy we thank you too Lord that people can become like you and become merciful and some are given the gift by you of sharing mercy we all have to be merciful but some are just so formed and shaped by you that it becomes second nature to them Lord work in our lives work in us to make us like yourself and we pray as we have this process going at the moment that you yourself by your spirit would be at work so remember us Lord we pray for your own name's sake Amen we can sing Psalm 133 from Sing Psalms how excellent a thing it is how pleasant and how good when brothers dwell in unity and live as brothers should. We'll sing the whole song. <coughs>
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.